everyone, and welcome to the Wine Chop Talk. I'm your host, Somalia Aranozar, and I am so happy that you are here with me today. If we haven't met before, it is lovely to have you here. In today's episode, I'm talking wine scores, what they mean, how they work, where they came from, and of course, how you can use them to help you find wines that you're going to enjoy. So if you're ready, let's dive in and get started. Are you somebody who looks to a wine's score to help you make a consumer choice of which bottles you're going to try? I'm asking because we have research of how and why people select bottles that I'm going to share with you. Now, 80% of people will shop based on price. So you're going in thinking, I want to spend about $20 and you're going to wander the wine store or shop online and find a bottle that fits into that budget that you had in mind for that day. Now, brand is where 69% of people have shared that they go to the brand that they know and that they love. So there's a comfort level there. So 69% of people shop by brand and obviously wineries and brands are hoping you're going to stay loyal to them. Now, as we look at how wine scores may impact your buying decisions, 23% of people confirmed they have used a wine scores as a trigger to purchase and try a new wine style. You will see at the end of every year, close to New Year's, Wine Spectator will release their top 100 wines. And this is a big deal in the wine world and they usually stay the release right up till they get to the top wines of that year. The wines that are chosen in the Wine Spectator top 100 wines of the year are really a big deal. Wine scores have a comfort level as a tool to use when people are shopping. I can't talk about wine scores without telling you a little bit about the history of how they came about. And to do that, I need to introduce you to a new character, or maybe you've heard his name before. And this character is Robert Parker. Now, Robert Parker, as a lawyer, had a passion for wines, and this had come about when he was a student, and he was traveling, and he was in Alsace, France, and he started to write about wines. And this evolved into a writing piece that he called The Wine Advocate. Over time, The Wine Advocate became a newsletter list that people subscribe to. And today, The Wine Advocate is still recognized as one of the most influential wine writing, consumer-driven pieces on the planet. If you are in the wine industry, or you do know of him, everybody has a different opinion to the point that sometimes you'll actually hear his name used as a verb. And what's that mean? It means in the wine world, you may hear people make reference to this wine has been Parkerized. And what does that mean? Robert Parker has been very open about that he likes and he enjoys big, bold wine styles, predominantly red. He generally reviews wines in the areas of Bordeaux, the Rhone Valley, and California. Some people will say that he has too much influence because what it means when a wine has been parkerized is that potentially a winery, because if Robert Parker or a wine received a high score, its sales would go up. And so the wine industry have created this word, parkerized, to give an indication that the wine style potentially has had a transition to where the color has become darker, which is a winemaking technique potentially. It's more aromatic and it is definitely bigger and bolder. So we end up with a large collection of wine styles on the planet that have higher scores fitting into Robert Parker's score system, but also share a very common profile, which if you enjoy that profile, it is amazing, but it is definitely a point of controversy in the wine world. And I wanted to share that with you. Robert Parker, while his intentions were to create a consumer-friendly way to let his friends know what he felt about the wine, has taken on a life of its own, his reviews, his score system. And just because a wine is scored, let's say, 92 points out of 100, does that mean that you are going to enjoy that wine? And this is where we're going to use the point system.
system as a tool for you, but a high scoring wine does not automatically mean that you're going to enjoy it. And a 92 point score on a Riesling may have a different profile for 92 point score on a Merlot, for example. Today, I'm gonna to keep sharing some ideas on how you can use the point system, where it can fit in, where it can help. As people are shifting to buying more wines online, the point system can be a really handy tool. Before, potentially if you were shopping in store, there may have been opportunities for a taste to buy where you would have been able to try a new wine right on the sales floor and be able to decide if that was a wine you wanted to take home with you in your basket that day. As you're shopping online, you'll see many wine e-commerce stores have the reviews listed under the wine styles to give you another tool of how you can determine if that wine is for you. So while most people, as we discussed, will shop by brand or price, these scores do have an impact, especially if you're looking for something new. They're definitely important as well if you're looking at aging wines or collecting wines. Scores do matter when you're getting into collectibles. The higher the score generally goes along with a higher price as well as a limited quantity of that wine on the planet. Sometimes when Wine Spectator releases their 100 point wine list, some of those wines already can't be found or they're in a second tier marketplace where you're going to be buying them from collectors or auction houses. Something to keep in mind as you're looking at that Wine Spectator list, not all of them are going to be available and not all of them are going to be available worldwide. So how can you use the 100 point score to find wines you like? When we're talking about the 100 point score, vintage is another term that's really important and they go hand in hand. And I wanna make sure everybody understands what vintage is. Vintage is a term we use to describe the actual year that the grapes were grown, so the year that they were in a field. It is not the year that a wine is released to the wine store because some wines around the world will have aging requirements that they can't be sold until they've had so many years aging in a barrel, for example. The other thing that you need to know about is what goes into an actual score of a wine. We have 100 points. Basically, no wine goes below 60 points. So as much as we start from 100, we're really only dealing with 40 points. To get to 50 points, a wine basically has to be confirmed that it's an alcoholic beverage. Then we look at how are they actually gonna score the wines. The wine's gonna get some points for its color, for its nose and aromatics, its palate, how it feels on the mouthfeel, and then the finish. How long does the wine stay with you? And potentially there will be notes or considerations in the score of how ageable the wine is. That's going to depend on the reviewer. When we look at those buckets of color, nose, palate, and finish, these are what makes up the basics for all scores around the world. So whether it's Robert Parker's Wine Advocate, Wine Spectator Magazine, Wine Enthusiast Magazine, these are the basics, and as a sommelier, when I'm reviewing a wine, these are also the buckets of how I am also going to judge or make my notes on a specific wine style. Those are standardized across the board. Now, what makes a 100-point wine, you might be wondering? A 100-point wine is considered to be an iconic wine. It's also a wine style that, in the reviewer's opinion, shows the most classic example of the variety, the region, the style, for example but it does still use those buckets of color, nose, palette, and finish, and overall recommendations for the wine. So 100 point score, is everybody gonna like it? Maybe not. 
but judging wines and the scores that they get have huge impact on wineries and how those wines move around the world. Really, really important, not only as an artisan product, which wine is, so there is going to be that personal interpretation and experience with each wine, but also as a business. Scores help make a connection between consumers and the winery. You can use them. I'm always going to caveat using points to make sure that you are aligned with the palette profile and the score for what you actually like. I will always recommend that you take a look at the wine score and then do a little bit of research on your own. Read some of the reviews. Take a look what other consumers are saying. Trust me, the world is big and somewhere somebody has opened that wine recently and made a note about it. Wine scores are there for you to use as a tool. They're not 100% accurate about your experience with that individual wine. Through the years, I've had great privilege to host wine tasting specifically on wine scores. So for example, we would do a class on 95 point wines and higher always fun. What's interesting about a class like that is price point. So in that range of wine styles, I could have wines from $20 to $1,000. So you can see that price and score don't always align. What I'm hoping you get out of today's episode is that a score is there for you to use as a reference point or a helpful tool, but it's not a slam dunk if you have a high score that you're actually going to enjoy it. I want you to be able to use these, understand them, and then be able to decide how you're going to use them for you to find wines that you like. Now, is it fun to try different wines? 100%. Now, something else I have noticed through the years is that the more expensive a bottle of wine, with higher the points, the less honest people become with their actual feelings about the wine. And here's a couple of reasons. One, Nobody wants to say, I bought something, I spent a lot of money on this, and I really don't like it. No one wants to say that. The other thing is that sometimes the higher point wines are more complex in their palette profiles. They're more iconic in the style of wine that they are and not has developed the skills or the palate ability to be able to fully appreciate all the nuances of that wine. So they're drinking a wine that they just don't understand yet. Our wine scores useful. Do you need to use them? Should you use them? I am definitely going to say, why not? But it's not 100% black and white that because this wine is 95 points that you are going to enjoy it. But it does mean that the wine did go through a process of being tasted, being reviewed. So there is some comfort in that. Use wine scores as a tool when you're shopping. Here's another little tidbit of advice. I want to stress again that there is some homework for you. Look at the wine scores. You'll start to see a pattern. For example, say that you are looking for a new Cabernet Sauvignon. You're going to shop, whether you're online or in the store, you're going to do a little research about the wine before you buy it, and you're going to read the review. Then you're going to look at other wines and you're going to start to find a pattern and wine descriptors within those wine notes that are going to be a really helpful tool for you to find other new wine styles to try. And that's how you can use not only the scores, but look for the patterns in the review notes and that's going to really help you find additional wines that you like to try. You can see how use scores as a base 
and then work off of them. You have so many resources right on your phone when you're in a wine store. So it's really easy to access information and match you with a wine style. Now, as I'm in Canada, I do want to talk a little bit about our Vinters Quality Alliance. This is an extra tier in our Canadian wine labeling. And many people in Canada will use that much like a wine score. They're going to use the VQA on a label as a guide of extra quality and as wine styles to try. But what's important to know that just because a wine doesn't have it does not always mean that it is not deserving of it. It is an optional program and wineries can decide if they want to take part of it and submit their wines into that process. Just a little sidebar there for those of you shopping Canadian wines. Now in today's podcast, we've gone over wine scores. We've talked a little bit about the history. We've talked about Robert Parker, founding father of wine scores. We've talked about what goes into a wine score and hopefully I've given you some hints and tips that you'll be able to now look at a wine score and be able to use it to help you find wines that you're going to enjoy, especially as new styles. It's also fun to take a look at your favorite wine styles and see if any of the scores have changed through the years on those wines. So know that wine scores are not a black and white science. Wines are an artisan product. They are always going to have some personal interpretation, just like any art style. But I hope this has given you some new information along with shedding some light on how you can use wine stores the next time you're shopping, whether online or in the store. As always, it's been wonderful to hang out with you today. I hope you have a new appreciation for wine scores and how they can help you find new wines that you'll enjoy. If you're not already subscribed, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can continue to grow your wine knowledge and confidence with me, head on over to my website, winegirlacademy.com. As always, have a great week. Cheers to you. Bye now.